Welcome to this special edition of Two-Way Street. I'm Bill Nygut. One of the many artists who make an appearance in Ken Burns' remarkable series on country music is the legendary singer Brenda Lee. She may get less time in the series than she actually deserves, but it could be because while she recorded dozens of country songs that made the charts, you can't really categorize her as a country singer. Over a five-decade-long career, her songs have worn a wide variety of labels. She's rockabilly, rock and roll. She's rhythm and blues, a pop crooner in the style of Tony Bennett and Sinatra, and yes, a country artist as well. You can lay out Brenda Lee's success in a dizzy array of numbers. She sold over 100 million records. In the 1960s, she earned more Hot 100 singles in the U.S. than any other artist except for the Beatles, Elvis, and Ray Charles. And oh yes, the Beatles once played as her opening act. Brenda Lee recorded her first record when she was 11 years old. She's performed in more than 60 countries around the world, and you can hear her singing her songs in at least six languages. But maybe most important for our purposes, Brenda Lee's a Georgia girl, and it was here in Georgia that her enormous talent was first discovered. In recognition of all that she's achieved, Brenda Lee has been named the first recipient of Georgia Public Broadcasting's Georgia Legend Award. Brenda Lee, all that said, welcome to Two-Way Street. What a pleasure Thank to have you, you here. Thank and congratulations you. on this honor. How does that feel? You know what? I am still kind of in la-la land on that. I, I haven't processed it yet. Um, it's just, you know, my roots, my soul, my being, uh, uh, everything I grew up to be started right here in the red clay of Georgia. Okay, let's talk about your journey as a young girl. Okay. Uh, in Georgia, okay? Uh-huh. Uh, you were born, your uh, real name is Brenda May Tarpley. That's right. When did you become Brenda Lee? I became Brenda Lee probably around about 1955 or thereabouts. And I was doing a, a television show in Augusta, Georgia. And um, Sammy Barton, I believe his name was, was the producer. And... Of course, my name was Tarpley, and he just thought that if we just shortened it to Tarpley to Lee, that people might remember it better. So that's sort of how that came. How'd about. you take to that? Was that okay? You know, as I got older, I I I didn't like that I did that. Um, you know, that was my birth name. That was my father's name, and you know, if I had it to do over, I don't think I'd do that. Interesting. Uh, you were born in the charity ward at Emory Hospital. You were born into a very poor family. I think you, you started off in Greene County, or you were in rural Georgia when you yes, were first born. Yes, very right? rural. Sure was. And and your family was hard-scrabble uh, uh, Georgians. They yes. had to really work yes, to they did. support the family, your mother and father, right? Yeah, my mom worked in a uh, cotton mill. My dad was a, uh, never knew how to drive. Uh, but he was a carpenter, and uh, we I remember we picked cotton. We always um, never had a, a farm of our own. We always lived in the tenant houses uh, when Daddy picked cotton and Mama picked cotton. Well, we all picked cotton, but, um, yeah, it was, you know, people say, oh, we were poor, but I didn't know it. 
No, we knew it. Yeah. So. You, you describe in your autobiography, Little Miss Dynamite, picking cotton yourself, what it yeah. was like yeah. to have to pick it by hand, the, the, the oh, cuts you would yeah. get on your fingers. When, and you must have been just a very little girl when you were doing yeah, that. Yeah, I was. But, you know, we all did it. You know, all the families back then gathered together. When one didn't have something, you moved in <laughs> with the other one. Uh, my mom was from a big family, uh, 10 children, so we always had a place to lay our heads. If if we couldn't uh, afford to have a house or, or we were down on our luck, we moved in with aunts and uncles, and that's how it was, and boy, what a great raisin I had. You know, it, it, what's interesting about that People sometimes wonder, how did a teenage girl bring all of this passion, all of this soul to the songs that she sang? And I would imagine that the way you lived as a young girl probably had a big part in what you felt when you sang your music, yes? I think so, yes. And and people ask me about that, and, I, you know, I don't know, because when I was singing of unrequited love, I'd never had a date. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, girls... All of us girls who may be not as beautiful as the next one or something, you, you still have those dreams about dating the good-looking guy and being the popular girl in school and all, and I had those dreams as well. But it's funny you say you never had had a date when you were singing those songs. Your mama wouldn't let you date until you were, what, 18 years old? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my mother was very strict, and... Um, I think my first single date was with the guy I married. I was going to say, you were attached in all of the teen fan magazines, um, in the gossip uh, rags, to any number of young oh, yeah. male stars of the mm -hmm. day. Fabian. Fabian, Tony Dow of Leave It to Beaver, Bobby V. <laughs> you know, all these uh, things that they can make a story out of. Yeah, but know. it was never true. No. You, you have only been with one man your o your only true love in life, and you married him when you were still a teenager. I d I did. We we just celebrated our fifty fifth. Who is he? His name is Ronnie Shacklett. You know he is so not show busy. I think that's why I married him because I um, wasn't. I'm, I guess if I would have fell in love with somebody in the industry, I would have married him, but I didn't. I wasn't looking in the industry. So let's let's go back and talk about your singing, because it's really a remarkable career. The stories about you have it that from the time you were three years old, people knew that you were going to be a singer. Your Cinda, sister, Linda, mm -hmm. talks about the fact that she knew you had talent probably before you were even three, I would guess. Yeah. I, I don't know when I started singing. I know it was really, really, really young. And Mama used to sing me um, Hank Williams songs hey. all the time. Of course, I didn't know they were Hank Williams songs. Um, but I was indoctrinated with Hank Williams from the time I could understand what a song was. And um, I've just always sang. Um, when you were three, mm -hmm. uh, your sister Linda, the story goes... Uh, took you to a local store mm -hmm. and would put you up on the counter and you would sing for, what, candy and, and uh, Nichols, other things? Nickels, pennies, and... <laughs> whatever. Yeah, sure what, would. Do you remember, what would you be singing at three years old? Oh, my goodness. Songs, a lot of Hank Williams stuff, because I just loved him, and Mama used to sing me those songs. But gospel songs, uh, Hank songs, whatever. Whatever I could sing. Yeah. So 
One of the memories that you talk about in your autobiography is that as a young girl, you would sit at home. You had a plastic table model radio. (laughs) And on Saturday nights, you would sit and you would hear this. It's Grand Old Opry time! Grand Ole Opry on a wow. Saturday night. Wow. There'll be guitars and strumming, Earl that's Scruggs right. and his banjo, too. I know that song. You know, it's funny. I just share an experience with you. Um, we're almost the same age. Mm-hmm. When I was a teenager, I grew up in Skokie, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. Oh, I know exactly where it is. And I knew WSM, the Clear Channel Station, and so as a teenager, I listened to the Opry, too. And it was then that I truly fell in love with country music. So you being in the South listening to the Opry, it must have had special power for you. Oh, it did. And, you know, like I said, we were very poor, and we had a radio, but we had to... Preserve the battery because uh, Mama was a Dodgers fan, Daddy was a Yankees fan. So we always had, when the series came, we always had to have batteries. And then they would let me do a smidgen sometimes of the Grand Ole Opry where I could listen to the music. I always say um, I was on TV before I had a TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you went to elementary school. You, you'd moved by this time to the suburbs of yes. Atlanta. Well, they were really kind of rural in those days. You right. went to Conyers Elementary School right. uh, starting in like 1951. And um, again, your sister, Linda, who seemed to be propelling your career uh, uh, forward. She, she was found, a big advocate. She found out there was going to be a talent contest um, in which you would get to perform against a number of other. Was it a children's contest? It was a, contest? a talent slash beauty. Okay. If you won beauty, you won money. If you won talent, I'll never forget, you got a big box of King Edward peppermint sticks. (laughs) Well, I wanted that money because I knew we needed it. But I won the peppermint sticks. Won't eat one till this day. (laughs) So upset. (laughs) But, yeah, my, my whole family, God love them, they were always behind me and always supportive. Um, and, and, and gave up a lot for me to do and, and, and do what I've done. In that talent contest, you were probably seven years old, right? About that? You were a little kid in little an kid, elementary yeah, school girl. Yeah. Um, and you sang a Pee Wee King song. I did. And I also sang, um, what's that song? They Try to Tell Us We're Too Young. Okay. Yes, yeah, you were. You got to sing, too. Uh-huh. I don't know that as well, but I know Pee Wee King's song. Um you keep me waiting. Till it's getting aggravating. You're, You're a slow, slow poke. poke. Uh, What's, can't remember the next lines of it, but it's a great song. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we move forward. And what's interesting about you is that you began to appear first on radio mm-hmm. uh, in, in Georgia. Mm-hmm. But you very quickly transitioned to doing TV. Mm-hmm. And one of the shows that you were part of early on was a show that was produced right here in Atlanta at what, what we now call Fox 5, but then was WAGA. It was called... W-A-G-A, yeah, John the, Farmer and the TV Ranch Boys. TV Ranch Boys. I could not find a, a selection of you singing with Boots Woodall and the Wranglers. 
I couldn't find one with you with them. Oh. But here's Boots Whittall and the Wranglers, who were the stars of yes, that show. Yes, they were. I went to town the other day just to see the sign. I had a dollar in my pocket and my head was feeling light. I met a gal in a big old car and she had money to spend. She said she would marry me and a rich man I'd have been. You know, that's still great music, isn't it? It, it reminds me of the old Bob Wills days. Yeah, that exactly. Kind of Bob Wills yeah. and his Texas Cowboys. That's right. That's really true. What did you? What kind of music did you do on that show? Country. You did country? Yeah, or whatever that, you know, that I wanted to sing. And I loved that show. And it was sponsored, if I'm not mistaken, by an ice cream company. I think it was Borden's, wasn't it? I think it? it was. And I didn't get paid, but I got all the ice cream I could eat that Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that show, and then you got what I think must have been an awfully big break in your life. You went out to Augusta. We moved to Augusta. There was a DJ there, and his name was Peanuts Faircloth. And we had a little radio station right on the main drag there in Augusta, and we called it the Brenda Lee Record Shop. And uh, uh, I think the theme song was, Buddy, if you want to get the low down, come on down and join us in the hoedown at the Brenda Lee Record Shop Saturday at 3. Um, uh, and the Brenda Lee Jamboree or something like you that. You still have it, Brenda Lee. Oh, that, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I did that, and I did a show called the Peach Blossom Special, and Red Foley came to town to the historic Bell Auditorium, and Peanuts used to take me to all the shows and say, please listen to this little girl sing. She can really sing. Well, Mr. Foley did. And at that time, of course, he had the Ozark Jubilee out of Springfield, Missouri. Which was a network, yes, network country show. And he invited me back to do that. And the first one I did, he had the Junior Jubilee and the Adult Jubilee. Well, I moved from the Junior to the Adult, became a regular, moved to Springfield, and the rest is what it turned out to be. It. It's wonderful, and and we're going to see if we can. Uh, what I'd like to do is post some links to clips of you in those days, because you're still a very young girl. You're ten, nine, ten, eleven, yes. twelve years old. Yes. And watching those old kinescopes is what they are of you performing on those shows. You would wear your crinoline <laughs> dresses. You had lots of bows. Oh, I did. And although there were times when you really moved to the music. I noticed there are some of your performances where never moved in myself. You felt like you were. I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, never moved. I look back at those things and I'm thinking, why aren't you moving? Well, you were so young and yeah. you hadn't been schooled in how to no, perform on television. No. And all I knew how to do was belt it out. That's all I knew. Be loud and be heard. Yeah. Well, you certainly could belt it out. Red Foley was instrumental in getting you your oh. first record deal. He was also considered one of the great, great gentlemen of country. Oh. People loved Red Foley, didn't Mr. they? Mr. Red was one of the, he called me Little Bit. <laughs> and he was, without him, I don't know that I would have really had a career. Yeah. He he was apparently an amazing guy for you. Oh, absolutely. He convinced Decca Records yes, to he did. sign you to a contract when, when other labels had said, eh, we're not so interested in you. And and I believe I'm right 
that the first song you uh, recorded for Decca was this. out to a Hank Williams song. I'm that listening you. to Hank really paid off for you. I'm telling you, <laughs> Hank and me, I'm telling you. Um, and you know, the funny thing about it was Mama used to sing me Hank Williams songs at night to get me to sleep. So I was fortunate enough to meet Mr. Hank before he passed away. Really? And you know, the first thing I said that came out of my mouth, I was real little, I said, and there were gobs of people around. I said, so you're the man that was in my bedroom every night. I thought my mother was going to faint. You know, it's I, here's something that's kind of, um, there's a sadness to what I want to say oh. about this. You were singing songs about heartbreak yes, um, without having the experience. Right. All of the songs Hank wrote were based on his real experiences right. with a wife who never could love him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you when you think of the depth and the breadth of of the of what he wrote between those few years that he had on Earth, yeah. it's astounding. It's astounding. Okay, but let's not move away from you because uh-huh. while Jambalaya, which was um, it, it, it was a hit on TV, it never uh-huh. quite cracked the charts, right? No. But but one of the reasons it's kind of remembered today is for the B side right. of the record, a song called. Bigelow, 6200. You remember how that chorus goes while you're singing? Yeah. Don't you love your pretty baby no more at all? I'm waiting you, baby, for the phone to ring. Just waiting and waiting for the phone to ring. Big love. I still can do that. But here's why it's uh, important to play a little bit of both sides of that record. Because I believe you hold a record to this day, which is that you have had more singles that have been hits on both sides of the record than yeah. any other recording artist. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> that is right. And um, But you know what that is? Owen Bradley was just brilliant. He never took a song like sometimes back in the day, as you know, writers would say, I'll give you half this song if you do my song. Yeah. Uh-uh. If the song was good, we did it. Didn't matter... We didn't do that. And so, because he always said, Brenda, make sure you like whatever you choose, because if it's a hit, you're going to be singing it. 
from now on. So you make sure you like it. And that's how we chose songs. Why was Owen Bradley so important to your career? Um, he was like a father. He was he loved me. He cared for me. He wasn't just a producer. He brought me into his family with his wife and two children and he raised me. Yeah. Yeah. It was was it was it Owen Bradley or was it Dub Albright? Dub Albright. Who said that rock and roll was never going to last and therefore they didn't want you to sing much rock and roll, which is one of the reasons that your repertoire includes lots of standards, pop standards. Right. Well, I think Dub's vision of me went beyond um the rock and roll genre. I think that he wanted me to 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 understand and to appreciate the wonderful songs out there, like he had me listening to Edith Piaf. He had me listening to Dinah Washington. He had me listening to people that I knew. I didn't even know them. But the impact that they had on my brain at that time, without me even knowing it, helped me to choose really great songs. I wondered if it was because of that influence that you released your first album was called Grandma, What Great Songs You That's sang, exactly why. Which is all standards. It was all standards. <laughs> and every time we'd have a session, Owen would sit. Maybe I'd get there a couple of hours early. And he would sit at the piano and we'd just sing standards. And that's how I got my love of standards. We got to take a break, okay. uh, and we're going to come back and talk more about your career, including talking about you really making it big on network TV shows with some of the biggest stars of network TV of, of the 50s. Um, you're listening to a special edition of Two-Way Street. We're talking with the great Brenda Lee, who's being honored by Georgia Public Broadcasting with uh, GPB's first ever Legends Award. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this special two-way street. I've got Brenda Lee with me here, one of the most prolific, uh, awarded, and biggest-selling uh, recording artists of the 20th century and moving into the 21st century. Bill, can well. I just take you everywhere I go and just let you do the spill? <laughs> which is I, let you Brenda open. Lee, I will follow you anywhere. <laughs> um, Thank you. In 1956, you were probably 12 years old. Yeah, I don't think you'd had a number one record at this Mm -mm. point yet, but but you were you had captured the attention of a lot of people, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you again you were just this little bitty thing, which you still are, but you were even smaller, and and you wear all those countrified dresses. Oh yeah, eighteen crinolines and (laughs) and uh, you know little Mary Jane shoes with the socks, and I mean, I, I guess I was one of the few that was my age that looked my age. And I want to play just an excerpt from a couple of shows that you did where, again, your talent and your personality charmed the host. So first, let's listen to you on the Perry Como show. He and Dinah Shore are standing together. Two of the great artists. I remember the night. Well, let's listen and then we'll talk. Here's Perry Como and Dinah Shore introducing our guest, Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee. Oh, she's adorable. I saw her on your show. She's something? Oh, she's wonderful. She's so wonderful, she makes me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Makes anybody nervous. She's one of the stars of the Ozark Jubilee. You know, she does that wonderful show with Red Foley and the gang. From Tennessee. Yeah, she's got a new thing she's going to do tonight, a thing called Doodlebug. I want to hear it. Shall we, uh, look? Hmm? Brenda, please. Bugs and the bees, large and small, doodlebugs dance. 
Everything was live back then. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, so Perry Como and Dinah Shore were huge stars in those days. What was it like? Were you intimidated? Were you nervous? Or did you just take it all in stride? No, because you know, I did because of Georgia. And when I say that, Georgia... I'd already been on TV here in Georgia. I was, I'd already done the sports arena all the time. So I wasn't afraid. I'd, I felt at home in front of the whatever it was we were doing. Now, when I, they wanted me to do movies, that was a completely different thing. I could not emote to that little red light. I could not do but it. But you did do a couple pictures. Yeah, but we don't talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> um, another big star at TV of, the, of his day was uh, Steve Allen. Oh, loved him. At, I did, too. I used to watch Steve Allen's show when I was a, a young man. I was probably about, you're a little younger, not much younger than you. Um, and there's a little bit we're going to play from Steve Allen. Uh, it, 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 there's a lot of business here. Steve Allen uh, brings you out, and you'll hear some commotion. You tell him you want to take him to your house because you've been to his, and there's these kids who come out and they put a set together that's supposed oh, to be yeah, your I kitchen. That. So let's listen. Okay. I love the way she gets that little break in her voice. How do you do that? How do you do it when you go? Oh, let me hear you do that. My goodness. Sing one line for me like that. What was the line you did that break? The phone don't ring and the man is a tip. I call you. I can listen to that all night. Are you ready for our number now? Yes. Um, what do you want to do, it here or out there? Or well, you know, you've had me a guest on your show several times, so now I want you to come over at my place and be my guest. You're the cream in my coffee. You're the salt in my tea. You will always be my necessity. I'd be lost without you. You're the starch in my collar. Wow. What? Weren't those great days when you had the big orchestra? Yeah. yeah. And back then, you know, they made your clothes for TV. And uh, I remember I did a show with Dinah Shore and Lily Pons, the great opera singer, and me, and we all had dresses alike. I thought I had made it. I've arrived, I thought. One of the reasons I wanted to play the Steve Allen uh, excerpt is you were so completely self-assured, self-confident. You handled it like such a pro. Well, you know, I've been thinking... I've been to, I've been over and you again you I don't know where that came from but I have never felt afraid of the stage afraid of people that was always my comfort zone yeah. Always. So, again, we, we move forward a bit in your career. And, by the way, I appreciate you sort of walking me through uh, uh, some of what uh, your life was like. Um, you recorded Sweet Nothing. Yes. Uh, was that – I get a little mixed up about this. You, had, you did Sweet Nothings and I'm Sorry in, in a very close time frame, right? right? Which one of them broke through – which was the one that came first that, that made it Sweet to the nothings. top of the charts? Sweet Let's nothings. listen to a little of it. Uh-huh, honey. <laughs> All right. My baby whispers in my ear. Mm, sweet nothing. He knows the things I like to hear. Mm, sweet nothing. 
What do you say at the start of that record? What do you say? What are the words at the very start of that record? My baby whispers in my ear. Before that, you oh, have a couple uh-huh, spoke. Aha, honey. All right. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny about that, of course, is it's been sampled by any number of hip hop artists. Kanye oh, West. Kanye sampled it. And somebody said, Brenda, they call me on the phone. Kanye has sampled Sweet Nothings in his new video. Uh, okay, so I'm going to see the new video, and there's Kim naked on the back of a motorcycle. I said, thanks, Kanye. Yeah, I couldn't even, I wanted to play a little of his sampling of it, but the lyrics to it are oh. so totally obscene, there's oh, no way I could even bleep them. I, I was like, oh, please. How did that feel? I mean, it's an honor in a way, but... Well, I thought it was till I saw yeah. And then I'm like, oh, please. Well, the point is, that song had real life. I, I yes. loved watching a video of you singing it on Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Yes. Later, you sang it on the show and introduced it there. Yes. Later, he devoted an entire show, the Brenda Lee American Bandstand I show didn't know to you. That. Yeah, he did. But you're standing in the American Bandstand set. There's a telephone twice as big as you are. And you lean over to it, oh to the God. receiver. It's a painted flat. And you lean over and you say those words again. Uh-huh, honey. All right. <laughs> uh, then this song came along. I, I remember when that song was released. It's just so beautiful, Brenda. Thank you. It's, what's interesting about it is I think it's an eight-bar song. I was just going to tell you that story. It's an eight-bar song, so we're there talking. I'm a big Ink Spots fan uh-huh. and always have been. And you know they recited all the time in their songs. So Owen and I are sitting there talking, and he said, we've got to do something. This is an eight-bar song. It was too song. short. It's too short. Yeah. So I said, well, let's talk in it. He said, okay. What'd and you that's do? How, that's how it's Can you done. do it now? Can you do the phrasing that you use in the record? Could you share a little of that with us? The talk? Yeah. We just did, I'm sorry, in the vocals. I'm sorry. Yeah. So sorry. Please accept my apology. You, what's, what I, the reason I asked you about that is because your phrasing in the recitation mm-hmm. is every bit as um, soulful as Thank the singing you. itself. Thank I you. remember that from when I first heard and that And you record. know people say, Brenda, how did you do those ballads like that with such feeling? I said, I don't know. I never dated. I didn't have a boyfriend. I'd, it's a God thing. That's all I know. Well, again, you also came out of very hard times. I did. In Georgia. And, and we didn't mention the fact, and this is as good a time as any to do it, uh, you've experienced some really difficult days. Your father died unexpectedly when yes. you were about eight years old, seven. seven years old. Seven. He was in a terrible accident yes, as a, a carpenter. Yes, a work-related um, he was a carpenter, and um, 
as far as I can, as far as I know and what I've been told, uh, he was on a scaffold and the guy above him dropped a hammer and hit Dad in the head. Which, which led to continued hard times for the family. You got a oh. little bit, you say in your autobiography, yeah. a little bit of a settlement, but not much not, to make it worthwhile. No. And Mom was working 14 hours a day in the cotton mill, and I thank God for WAGA, and I was doing whatever I could. And it was not work to me, because I love to sing. So it was never work to me. Where did the, oh, 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 how do you, what is that? I can't do it. What am I trying to do that for Brent? Oh, 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 yes. Where did that come from? I don't know where that came from. You just did that. I just did it. And Owen said, do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You pointed out while we were listening to it that not only is it a simple song, the orchestration is very bare, too. Three strings. Very simple. Wow. Yeah. And to this day, it is a song that will forever be identified as one of the great hits of your career. I I think it will. And I always thought that, you know... all of us artists hope for a signature song, mm-hmm. something that we'll be known for forever if our name is mentioned. I always thought I'm sorry would be mine, but I think it's rocking. I think rocking around the Christmas tree will be it. Uh, well, thank you for mentioning that oh. because we have to get another break out of the way. Okay. Uh, but this is as good a way as any to make sure people want to come back because we're going to talk about rocking around the Christmas tree there you go. after this. Welcome back to this special edition of Two-Way Street. You know, I should say to people out there, most of you know that we put uh, Two-Way Street at a hiatus last year when I expanded our political show, Political Rewind, because there was so much politics to talk about, and it was hard to do both shows at once. But um, when we have the opportunity to talk to someone really special who I know you are going to love hearing from, we bring Two-Way Street back out of the freezer and, uh, <laughs> and give you a special edition of it. And I couldn't ask for anybody well, more honored. special than Thank Brenda you. Lee. Thank you. It's so great to have you here. Um, so let's keep talking about your life and career. You, um, in 1958, and you'll tell me if I've got this story wrong, before you'd had a number one hit, mm-hmm. you were doing well, but you hadn't had that big gold no. record, the number one hit. So in 1958, you went into the studio and you recorded a silly little Christmas song. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the first Christmas song no. you recorded, we should point out. Uh, you'd recorded several of them before right. that. But you went in and you recorded this one. It was it dropped, and nothing. Nada, nothing. not a thing. Nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared. And then you go through 1960, your breakthrough year. I'm sorry, uh, sweet nothings. Mm-hmm. I think emotions belongs in right. there as well. Right. But then all of a sudden, because of the interest in your music based on your hits, this song comes back to life. <laughs> Rocking around the Christmas tree, I think 
Uh, and I don't have the most recent figures, but I'm doing some research about you. I read that on the 50th anniversary of the release of that record, so uh, uh, we're talking about some time ago now, um, it had sold 25 million copies, and I'm sure it keeps selling more and more all the time. Do you know how many copies have sold now? Do you keep track of that sort no, of thing? No, I don't, um, and never have. Uh, Where did that come from, that song? That came from a gentleman named Johnny Marks, and he also wrote Rudolph. He wrote Holly Jolly Christmas. He he wanted to write just a regular song, but the only thing that would come out of him Christmas. <laughs> a Jewish songwriter. A Jewish songwriter. Well, let's, no, let's not forget that one of the greatest, the most popular of all Christmas songs, White Christmas, was written by Irving Berlin, who was a Jewish Absolutely. composer. <laughs> so um, I was on a, accepting a Lifetime Achievement uh, Award from the Grammys, and Gene Autry's wife was there. And, of course, he wrote uh, Gene's big uh, Christmas thing, Rudolph. And uh, she said, man, I love this mailbox money. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, well, I never thought of it that way, but yeah. You have uh, basically retired. I have. A couple of years ago, I think you decided to. Um, And yet, uh, you seem to get called back time and time again to sing Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree somewhere or other. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Talk about that. (laughs) Well, you know... um, I always said, if I couldn't give my audience what I thought they deserved uh, from me, um, that I I didn't want to be on stage. And I, I do more on stage than just sing. Um, I I move a lot. I'm you know, you got to live up to that moniker, Little Miss Dynamite. So. But I've always loved that. But it got to where that I just didn't feel like that I I was giving them what what they paid to see. Um, And so I retired, and they let me. And I love them for that. But you keep getting called back to do it at various charity events or whatever. And I'll do that. I love doing charity things. I love raising money. You know, Michael Landon and I used to do a lot of stuff for March of Dimes, Mm -hmm. and we loved it. I said earlier in the conversation that I was going to share with people how you got that nickname, Little Miss Dynamite. How did you? You recorded a song called Dynamite, right? Let's listen to just a a bit of it. Okay. Dynamite, you're dynamite. You're dynamite.
song out, of course, and I guess by the energetic way that I work on stage, the growling, the the big old loud voice, uh, I guess that's how I got it. Where does... We haven't talked about the the stutter, which is a rockabilly kind of thing, right? Uh, the growl. Mm-hmm. You, you're really incorporating, it seems to me, the growl. The uh, hiccuping. The hiccuping. The growling. Um, you know, Ken Burns talked to me about that. Did he? Yeah, when, we, when, when I did my part in his wonderful thing yeah. that's going to be coming out. Yeah. Uh, where did the hiccuping come from? I don't have a clue. I just know that I've always done it. And I did, like I said, I didn't listen to singers because we had no outlet to listen. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have a radio. So I never listened to singers. So it's just a gift from God. It's really a trademark of your. I mean, there were other rockabilly artists who were recording around that same time you mm-hmm. were mm-hmm. who do a version of that. Mm-hmm. But you've, you really were the master of it, and it became part of a trademark of how you sang a song. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you became an international star as well, mm-hmm. traveled all over the world. And one of the things I think is so interesting about you is that you learned to sing in the languages of a number of the countries that you performed in. Let's listen to just a little bit of a performance you did in Tokyo, singing a song that became a huge hit in Japan called Last Night in Tokyo. One rainy night in Tokyo. Oh, I, I said it wrong. That's okay. It's a I gave it the wrong name. It's One Night in Tokyo, but you sang it in Japanese. You sang a lot of your songs in Japan, Japanese when you when you toured Japan. I did. I, I, I recorded in German, Italian, Spanish, Japanese, French. Are you I an autodidact? How did you learn all those languages? Um... Well, I, sometimes I, I would get a student from Vanderbilt and that would teach me. And then, you know, I went to Japan 32 times and a lot of those countries. And, and it, it, you absorb, you know, you, it just comes to you after a minute. It's a beautiful song. Isn't it pretty? And you recorded it in English as well. Yes, I, I did. Know. I know. One rainy night in Tokyo. All right. How did you meet? A couple of people. We okay. gotta let's let's do some talk about stars. Okay. First of all, you made your grand old Opry debut when you were twelve years old. Mm-hmm. By the way, when were you inducted into the Opry at, at Sub? When did you become a member of the Opry? How much I, later? I am not a member. You are not a member of the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> I am not. Let's call them up right now. <laughs> you sound like Porter Wagner. <laughs> right before he died, he he thought I was a member, and he said, "You're not a just like you. You're not a member." I said, "No, sir." He said, "I'm fixing that." Well, uh, what did you sing on the Opry that night? Do you remember? Probably Jambalaya. Yeah. And um, I can't remember what else, but, right. but I know Jambalaya. Okay. But speaking of people who've never been inducted in the Opry, 
there was a famous singer in the wings uh, watching you because he was on the show that night, too. Who was it? Elvis Presley. And he came and he did... uh, it's the first time drums had been used on the Opry, and they let him use the snare. And he did uh, Blue Moon of Kentucky and That's All Right, Mama. And they told him to keep his day job. And you know what I like to say? And he kept it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> he was never invited back to the no. Opry. They never liked Elvis, and he never much liked them after no. that night. So you were there no. on a very famous night. <laughs> I sure was, and what a nice man. And we became friends, and I was welcome at his home. Uh, when he would uh, come to Nashville to record, I would always go down and pay my respects. But I respected his privacy because he had none. So I never bothered him. But if I I was always welcome. You, you have, I, I think I read somewhere a Something, a gift that he gave to you at one point, a little trinket of some sort. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I have a scarf signed that I would not take anything for. And then he used to give the boys uh, and his band and all a necklace, and it said TCB, taking care of business. Uh He gave the girls TLC, tender love and care. So I have a TLC necklace. You also had an association when you were uh, out on your international touring days with another famous band, uh, four boys from Liverpool. That's right. The Beatles. That's right. How did that come about? Well, you know, I was over there and um, actually there was a famous club in Germany called the Star Club. And they used to open for me there. And I would stand backstage and I would hear all these songs, and I'm like thinking, okay, I'm I'm pretty good at knowing songs and what's out and what's happening, but I've never heard any of these songs. And so I got close to John. And so just one night, I just, and I heard influences of Little Richard. I heard the Everly Brothers. I heard Mahalia Jackson. I heard Sister Rosetta Thorpe. I heard Muddy Waters. I heard all these things going on. But I said, John... Where do, where do you get these songs? And very nonchalantly, he just said, oh, we write them. And I'm like, oh, my Lord. Did you stay f- friends with him? Yes, absolutely. Um, two of the most famous artists that you have had friendships with um, died suddenly. Yes. Um, one of them being John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And the other, of course, being Patsy Cline, who oh, you were very close to. Very close to and Patsy. And Patsy died in a terrible uh, plane uh, yes, wreck. Yes, she did. Um, what is it? What happened? I mean, whenever we suffer the loss of a friend in an unexpected way, it's terrible. But there's an additional feeling when you've worked with somebody, when you've been, you know, sharing your artistry with that person. It must be even more painful. It is painful. And Patsy was such a bigger, you know, if you if you call a lady abroad, people like. Oh, that's, but Patsy was a broad and a great one, (laughs) and everybody loved her, and she had a heart bigger than the world, and just a talent, and just, oh, I loved her so good. She was like my big sister. Yeah, yeah, so it was hard for you after you heard the news. Oh, it was awful for me. I want to, we're running out of time. But I want to share some of the things that people have said about you. I know you have said you don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but there are many people out there who think that you've never quite gotten your due 
as the artist that you have been, how much you accomplished and how important your influence was on the on the world of music. But but there are people who are well aware of it. Aww. Elton John said, when I saw her perform, I was just stunned. I don't think I had ever heard anything like it. Um, Janis Joplin, he says, uh, uh, and Tina Turner, maybe. John Lennon said that you had the greatest rock and roll voice of them all. Last year, Alison Krauss covered two of your songs in her great, great album, Windy City. Uh, we already talked about the fact that Kanye West <laughs> sampled Sweet Nothings. Um, uh, Dolly Parton, who is, I know, a friend of yours, yes. says, Brenda's one of the greatest entertainers ever. But I think I like her mostly because she's the only person I know that I'm taller than. Oh, I'm going to get her. <laughs> Your talent has been recognized uh, widely by the people in the industry. And it's one of the reasons we're so very happy we're, um, that you have been named the first uh, Georgia legend and uh, are receiving that award from well, uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting. Georgia's always sort of on your mind, isn't it? Well, I will say this, and I'm not bragging. I have won every award probably in the in the world. Mm, made me cry. But this is, um, this is the most important one that I will ever have. Why? Because Georgians are the first ones that recognized I had any talent at all, and um, stood by me and and cheered me on, and um, that's why my roots are here. And um, this is very special to me. I'm very honored. Brenda Lee, it's been just wonderful getting Thank a chance you. to talk to you. To my meet pleasure. You. Thank you. I've enjoyed this conversation enormously. The great artist Brenda Lee. Not country, not rockabilly, not rock and roll, not pop standards, all of those <laughs> and more. This has been a special edition of Two Way Street. If you want to watch the videos that Brenda and I talked about during the show, go to gpb.org slash TWS. Thanks for being with us for this Two Way Street special. Next week, Virginia Prescott and On Second Thought will be here as usual. I'm Bill Nigat. Take care. Do it.